Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show that sees life through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. Because in Jeff's World, we blow minds and large hearts and leave no man or child behind. And now, here's your host, Chief Executive Optimist and President of these inspired states of mind, Jeff Stein. How you doing, America? Are you okay? If I were the worrying type, might be a little worried about you. Uh, <laughs> things are pretty intense right now. I get that. I understand that. Uh, it's uh, it's hard to see the fun of what's uh, going on right now. But hopefully I can help you a little bit today. My name is Jeff Stein, as the man says, along with Erica Ferriston, Jeff Hendrick, Executive Brian is uh, making the show grow, and Internet Georgette is keeping you in the know. Now, none of those folks are here today. I'm flying solo as it turns out, Jeff Hendrick is, uh, as you know, has a B-cell cancer, cancer lymphoma. And so he is doing chemotherapy right now. But don't worry too much. This is, it's nothing like some of the more aggressive cancers. Uh, folks have been through, you know, for instance, breast cancer and stuff. You know that the chemo just absolutely knocks you out. Uh, apparently with this one, it just kind of makes him hangry. You know, he's a little hungry, a little tired, a little angry. Uh, so he's not here today. And Erica Ferriston has, uh, she's out too today. She had some doctor's appointments and no sitter. So, you know, life happens. So it's me, flying Solo, which will either be a, a really interesting thing for you or it'll remind you why I so much need my uh, co-hosts. And as I joke often about uh, my sunshine gets a little too annoying <laughs> in the absence of uh, some more uh, realistic perspective. I like to think that I'm quite the realist. Uh, the world is a beautiful place and everything is working out just fine. And that is the reality, even if it doesn't seem that way. So, But today on Jeff's World, we'll be talking about the last 48 hours from former FBI Director James Comey's perspective, plus the, the number two G-man in the FBI who has taken over is weighing in on whether the rank and file of agents had lost faith in Comey, as is being claimed, and what will happen if the, if the White House influences ongoing investigations, what he says he will do. Also, Betsy DeVos gets booed and America gets trolled. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about the place where people are most politically united. And also the one thing everyone has in this new fast-moving world you need to have in order to succeed or in to just uh, you know survive. Also, President Trump is trying to convince the world he is not colluding or doing business with Russia. And I'll tell you who he met with to prove that and how that worked out. Plus, Speaker of the House Paul Ryan's no good, horrible, very bad tax plan day. And Jimmy Kimmel talks to the Louisiana senator who said any new health care laws must pass the Jimmy Kimmel test. What an amazing debate. That's going to come up later in the show fascinating this world in which we live right now. But seriously, I know everybody's a little freaked out. Everybody's in a combination of either panic and scared and feared, or they're angry about what the other side is making of their fear and their scaredness. But I'll tell you right now, you guys know this, you can't be mean unless you've first been scared. Anger, once again, is relief from being feeling powerless or scarified or guilty or shame, right? You can feel that in your heart as soon as you hear that. Blame, revenge, these things are sweet relief compared to the feeling of powerlessness or having been taken advantage of. And so when you see people that are angry, understand that. Remember, it's relief. 
And oftentimes, of course, what people are angry about is not really what they're angry about because the anger is the reaction to the fear. If you can get to the fear, then uh, you're going to better understand what's going on. And that's what we're going to talk about a lot today because uh, I want to put some perspective on what is all happening. I want to talk about why the news media is behaving the way it's behaving, why the uh, Trump side, the Republican side is behaving. And I have to make those two distinctions because there's Trumps and then there's Republicans and there seem to be very different animals there and why the Democrats are behaving the way they're behaving. Uh, because um, I think you have to kind of step back and say, wait a minute, why are, why is everyone getting so crazy here? And look to the base of it. Plus, we got to talk about Russia, 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 and what's going on there, because that is not done. Please remember, I've said this before, and I will say it again, the Russians, we are at war with Russia right now. And that's a very strong statement. Obviously, there's no guns being fired. There's no missiles being shot off of launchers. But... They are actively trolling America right now for the one purpose of inciting a fire. Again, it's like I said, instead of putting a fire out, my analogy last week or earlier, the previous show, instead of putting a fire out with the Foscheck water and and, uh, fertilizer fire retardant that you see drop from airplanes during a wildfire, uh, they're dropping gasoline on our political discourse. And they're quite effective at it. And they're really, really enjoying what's happening. You saw probably even uh, Vladimir Putin came off the hockey rink and was interviewed by a CBS reporter, an exclusive interview. He's starting to do interviews. And it's not because he suddenly decided to be transparent. Vladimir Putin is gloating. He's enjoying this a great deal. He's watching us split in two, which we're not. It's a perceived split in two. We're actually getting together. We're actually finding clarity. But he is enjoying it. And he's saying, I have nothing to do with this. What? This is not me? What do you, call me? Call me who? <laughs> yeah. He knows exactly what is going on. And he's enjoying it. So uh, I'm enjoying it too, but from a different perspective. He said, Jeff, how can you possibly enjoy this? This is disgusting. This is awful what's going on. And you're right. In a sense, if you want to use hyperbole, we're kind of in a, a civil war. Um, it's a different kind of civil war. It's a civil war without borders. You know, we're not uh, fighting over from the north to the south or something like that. But we are definitely have gotten into a place where the relief feels like anger and blame and revenge when we look at our fellow Americans. And that is the issue. And that's something we need to address. So uh, that's going to be a big overreaching topic today as we go through what has happened. Ah, the craziness that is going on right now in the world. And we're going to talk about that and everything I just teased in a moment when I return to Jeff Burrow. Jeff's World, a place where we look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found it. I'm Jeff Stein, along normally with Erica Ferriston and Jeff Hendrick, but I'm flying solo today. They're out. And we are kind of talking about this civil war that we're sort of in. It's a, it's a soft civil war. It's not a civil war that we're you know, fighting in the streets, of course. It's well, kind of a little bit. <laughs> if you're going to Louisiana, there's a little bit of fighting in, in New Orleans right now. And if you're not following this, they've been removing Confederate statues, not just Confederate statues, but really some of them quite racist. The Liberty Monolith, if you're not familiar with that one, which pays homage to a uprising where uh, white supremacists, for lack of a better term at the time, decided to attack the police headquarters, the capital, capital, the police headquarters, I'm not sure, City Hall. They attacked them because they were going to hire black 
people as police officers, black men, obviously, as police officers. And so they attacked and they temporarily took over uh, the city seat of government and killed some people in the process. And there was a a monument to that. At first, it was blatantly a monument to, hey, look how many black folks we killed. And then they kind of softened it over the years to just into this liberty monolith, which was supposed to, in the new context, honor both sides, just honor the conflict and honor the the growth that was had in it, which, you know, okay, that's that's a much better thing. But as my friends from Louisiana, I go to New Orleans every year with my wife. We love New Orleans. Les bon temps roulés. And um, it's an amazing place. You never get to go. And if you like food and music, you have to go. And fun and, and debauchery. It's all good, too. And if you like drinking, it doesn't hurt. Um, <laughs> uh, so they like to say that... These statues and such, they tell a sanitized view of the Confederacy. And that view is being, uh, finally, the, the you know folks in Louisiana said, yeah, we're not kidding ourselves anymore. We got to stop honoring what the, uh, and instead of trying to tell everybody that the Civil War was about states' rights and heritage, which it was not. It was about slavery. Do your history. It is repeated and codified in many dialogues in the Southern legislatures who made it very clear that it was about keeping black people where they were, in slaves, as slaves. So uh, that's good. It's a big growth for us. And the reason I bring that up is because as we go kind of through this little civil war of internal discovery, because we have to find out, are we more united or divided? This is this is the great answer. And I've been waiting a long time for this. I've been watching tribalism. You heard me talk about the show. The tribalism keeps ramping up where it is more about fighting to make your team right than it is about fighting to affect change that benefits the greater good. It was, wait a minute, you're attacking my person, you know, identity politics. We've been talking about that a lot as well. And so, this is what's going on. And so the Civil War is, is is a war of hearts and minds, and it comes from within. And so the, the irony should not be lost on you that they are taking down Confederate statues in the uh, in the South right now. And you've probably heard the stories. It's been quite an operation. They've had protesters, needless to say. They've had to put all kinds of cops around. So here you've got these construction workers who have covered up and taped over their company logos so as not to be suffering retribution and disguising. You know, even some of the, the workers have had to wear disguises and such in order to, uh, so they grab their civil war reenactment outfits. No, I'm kidding. And <laughs> so, but they have had a disguise. You got to make a little bit of fun of this. All right, y'all. Um, and it's a, it's a big growth. And obviously there's both sides to the story and everybody is having different problems with it. But, uh, it, I, you got to look at the future. I mean, this is going to be looked back upon and nobody's going to go, say, gosh, we really should have preserved that idea of uh, suppressing and, you know, the black people that were brought over in slave ships. That's just not going to make any sense to anybody in future generations. And and so this is this is a good growth. And uh, and I think it's important. Heritage is definitely important. And I have total respect for that. Um, but do understand that we got to grow up a little bit. So and that's what we're doing. And that's what's happening on a broader scale. And it's being it's being put through the lens of. Trump and Republicans versus, you know, Democrats and Hillary, because that name keeps pomping around, although I think most Democrats are pretty much done with Hillary. All due respect to Hillary, she should just kind of um, go into the place that she's going into, which is you go ahead and uh, be someone who's part of history, who can offer your perspective. She'll be speaking and this sort of thing. And so people can say, yeah, okay, yeah, that's a great perspective. You're a major figure in history and and, and there's lots of lessons to be learned there. So uh, that is your place. And that's a great place, and she'll do, do do well in that. 
So, and it played out just recently with a nice young lady named Betsy DeVos, <laughs> who, as you know, is our education secretary. And she said some words early on when she was being picked as education secretary, saying that historically black colleges were an example of choice, of choice. And of course, that made black folks kind of crazy because they weren't choosing to go to black colleges at the time and the, the inception of historically black colleges. Be- they were going to black colleges because they weren't allowed into white ones. So, you know, the choice. Yeah. OK, so it was a choice to form your own college. Yeah, that, that was a choice of sorts. But you can see the context of that it doesn't feel much like a choice. So that's kind of what the ire came from. But here's the Civil War, right? And here's where the trolling happens. So she goes into the into a college in Florida, and she gets booed. during. She was doing the commencement speech, and you probably saw that. She And she got booed by the crowd, and a lot of these uh, students turned up and stay, stood up and turned their backs to her. The dean even got back on the mic and threatened and said, we'll mail your—stop protesting or we're going to mail your diplomas to you. Uh, of course, the reaction to a lot of the students was, go ahead, mail your mail diplomas to <laughs> We don't care. But there's different sides of the story. And let's see if we can kind of kind of you know pull it apart so it makes a little more sense from a human aspect because the anger just got boiled over right away, right? There was all these different issues going on. One of the issues was about respect. Right? That's what I saw a lot of as I'm as I'm looking at the uh, you know the Twitter feed where the banter is going back and forth. And first of all, let me say something, and I'm gonna keep saying this because this is something we cannot forget. We're at war with Russia. And when you see a feed, when you see a thread of various trolls barking back and forth at each other, consider the possibility that much of it, at least some of it, at least some of it, I can guarantee you, is Russian trolls. And it's not just one side. Here's the genius of Vladimir Putin and these folks, okay? And I'm not giving him credit by saying that because the guy's a monster who kills people who oppose them and rules his kleptocracy government with an iron fist and no actual justification. So I'm not in any way defending his, saying he's, you know, his genius is some sort of asset to his character. But they have figured out a way to in, invade our feeds and not only be, you know, there's a lot of my Democratic friends would say, oh yeah, they're pretending to be, you know, Trump supporters and, and, and they have these names and you see it. They have names that they said like, you know, political geek or whatever. They have like America's friend, you know, they make, they make different names and they make different handles on Twitter or on Facebook so that it appears as though they're all American completely. Not the case. They're doing both sides. You may actually be reading a thread where some of the banter going back and forth between quote unquote the left and the right, but they're not. It's just angry versus angry. If any of those people stepped back and became their true self, neither of them would actually be what we're talking about. They wouldn't be truly as tribal as they appear to be. But what I was the point I'm going to make is that there will be often times where both trolls, both of the folks arguing, are Russian. And then you've got all the Americans, of course, that, are, that, are, that we're having our debate into it. And again, it's like spraying gasoline on the fire. They are portraying both sides in the most angry, vitriolic sense. Are some of those folks Americans who are just as angry? Of course. But if you had the ability to multiply it and to make sure that almost every argument about our social or political state gets inflamed 
into a trolling mess, you would have the success that the Russians are right now gloating and enjoying about. So don't forget that on these debate threads, many of them are Russians, okay? And even if they aren't, it kind of has a nice way of making you feel a little better about it. You're like, oh, that's probably a Russian troll because nobody's that mean, (laughs) although many of us are. (laughs) Let's face it. And again, you can't be mean until you've first been scared. Understand that. Folks are scared. Their identity is a threat, especially on a case like this Betsy DeVos thing. All right. So now you've got there's these different sides that are going on and you've got this angry side that's saying, hey, she is an affront and an attack on education. My advice to you is to, again, stop focusing on what you don't want. Stop focusing on identifying your enemy and start focusing on what you do want, because what you do want is to preserve education. You want to, if that is your argument, obviously, which is which it was, if you're, if you're angry at Betsy DeVos for, quote unquote, offending you, then uh, demonstrate who you are. Demonstrate what you believe in. Be the change you want to see. And, you know, if I were there, I mean, of course, we all say if I were there, if I were there, if I were there, uh, you know, I would sit and listen and I would protest. I could protest, too. I could easily, you know, hold up a sign that says preserve education for all. Education's a right. You know, maybe your sign says something like that. Maybe it says, you know, education is not not is colorblind. You know, it's a lot of different ways you could say it. Uh, But be try to figure out what it is you want. Instead of just going, here comes Betsy DeVos. Let's make her life miserable because she scares the crap out of me. And I understand that. She scares you. You need to admit that. You need to own that. She scares you because she represents what you always fear, especially if you're, I'm not going to speak for black folks. I'm not black. I haven't walked in that shoe. Uh, but I could see that, hey, if I saw someone coming in saying, oh, your college, you know, you what a great example of choice. You know, you just chose to go to black colleges. And then immediately what wells up in you is, Excuse me? Do you know what it's like to have a disproportionate advantage because of your skin color? Obviously, you do not because you think, and so you, you could feel the offendedness. You could feel the anger coming up. But again, remember, she's ignorant. She doesn't understand. And she will only affect your future if you believe she will affect your future. If you let her, if you give fuel to her uh, fire by really indulging your fear. What you think about, you bring about. What you focus on, you receive. So focus on that. Oh, you know, because I look at Betsy DeVos and say, there's no way she's ever going to undo education single-handedly and turn everything into a private charter school only accessible to those who can afford it, which is what you're afraid of. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Public, and, and as you know, and, and I happen to be married to a teacher, and I, of course, I'm immersed in the education as a result, educational field as a result of that, um, usually on happy hours with other teachers. It's funny. Teachers drinking wine is hilarious. Um, but teachers <laughs> are reinvigorated on their purpose and their desire. I'm watching it. I'm witnessing it. I've never seen a more fervent rallying cry to defend and expand the idea that Horace Mann started uh, however many hundred years ago that public education is a right and it's what makes our democracy work. If we are smart, if we are uh, intelligent and we are informed, we will be a democracy that will steer itself instead of being steered by the Betsy DeVos's, if that is your perception. Now, the other side, you're angry you're looking at these these black kids who are standing up and they're being disrespectful. Ask yourself a couple of questions. First of all, well, if they're being disrespectful, aren't they just embarrassing themselves? 
You know, why do you have to get so caught up into it? I mean, ah, they're just embarrassing themselves. They don't even know better. See it that way, first of all. And second of all, well, no, it's not that. It's like, no, they're, they're, they don't understand. They need to have respect. I had respect. Whoa, okay. So you're obviously taking it personally. You're obviously identifying with something because if in order for it to bother you, you had to have owned it in some way. You had to have had a stake in, the, in their behavior. So let their behavior go. You demonstrate as well and say, well, you know what? Uh, ask yourself the question. What if somebody came into my house and said that and, and insulted me? <laughs> right? Came into my house and insulted me and said, you know what your problem is? The reason you suck is because you're lazy. It's like, well, you know, you'd want to turn your back on this person and you want to protest them and you'd want to tell them, no, it's not because I'm lazy. But instead, again, demonstrate who you are. Demonstrate that you're industrious in the case of this analogy of lazy, I mean. And so please look at these two things and also know that your thread is Russian fed. Okay. Your thread is Russian fed. This is not an exaggeration. And even if it's not Russian fed, even if they're, if they're a bunch of American trolls, American trolls, uh, then know that they're coming from a place of some sort of fear. They're afraid that their identity be as attacked. And most of this is tribalism. They say, you're attacking Betsy DeVos, and I'm a Trumper. I like Donald Trump. I think Donald Trump is going to do great things for this country. He's going to make America great again. And part of his and so if I am committed to that idea, then anybody who's associated with Donald Trump, anybody who's on his team, like Betsy DeVos, I identify with as well, and I'm defending. But ask yourself, is that really necessary? If Betsy DeVos is as great as you hope she is, she'll be able to defend herself. If she's got a great idea, it will stand on its own, uh, regardless of the message. So when we come back, uh, I want to get into more of that. Let's get into James Comey because there's so much going on there. And also, of course, about Jimmy Kimmel and Speaker House of the House Speaker Paul Ryan's no good, horrible, very bad tax plan day when uh, I return to Jeff's world. This is Jeff's world, the place where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture is seen through the lens of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. I'm Jeff Stein. Erica Ferrison and Jeff Hendrick are off right now, so I'm flying solo. But hey, uh, this is still the Renaissance already in progress. <laughs> okay? Uh, this is the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. Every pendulum of humanity is swinging right now, and in high contrast comes high growth. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know it's scary. But if there's something I can offer, first of all, Remember, think about it, what you're going to think about this in 10 years. And I know the first thing he says your mind, we'll be dead. We'll be gone. It'll be over. Everyone's going to just die. It's like, no, none of that's going to happen. Uh, we will go on. We are going on. And I am so proud and impressed with how everyone is trying to find their way. Not everybody's being the adult in the room, but many are. Many are. <laughs> and... As I say about the Mr. Rogers quote, look for the helpers. There's so many helpers, including, by the way, James Comey, former FBI director James Comey. And if you don't know, FBI obviously stands for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. But the on the seal of the FBI, they have another F and a B and an I, and it stands for fidelity, bravery, and integrity. And this is really cool because we, we've gone from a days of J. Edver, J. Edgar Hoover, Hoover? J. Edgar Hoover and other folks who Use the FBI for, for pretty awful circumstances. And now we're suddenly in this era where everyone is really learning what is the FBI? What is the, how important is the independence of the FBI? How much do we believe in the rule of law? 
And if you're a Make America Great Trump supporter, you're the first one to say rule of law. And I, and I couldn't agree more. Obviously, that's what our agreement as a society to obey and respect the laws that we craft, whether we agree with all of them or not, and only, uh, you know, civil disobey the ones that do not with the intent of change. Uh, you know, this is this is what's made our Amer- America great. And it has and it will continue to. And so this examine, re-examination of the FBI, has I just love it. It makes me so happy because everybody goes, well, what is the FBI? How does it work? Is it independent? And first thing, to calm you all, for those who are like, oh, my God, you know, Trump's going to just get in there and, and he's going to make himself unaccountable. And whether you believe he colluded with Russia or not, or whether you believe he's doing business with Russia or not, you don't want you want that separation of power. Right. You want the FBI to be independent. And I want to assure everyone for those who may not be as democracy geeky as I am and have read deeper into some of these stories, it is. It's good to go. And the successor, who was number two, McCabe, Andrew McCabe at the FBI, who took over James Comey, has already become the adult in the room and made several statements and very, very clear that he will, if he says he gets even a whiff of interference by the Trump administration or anybody else in an FBI investigation, he will scream it loud and clear. And that's one of the first things you should know. There are thousands of agents, okay? There are a lot of people working on these things. And by the way, it is a falsehood from the Trump White House that the FBI didn't like, had no faith in Director Comey. That's a nice political statement. And of course, they'll probably find a couple of FBI agents who do. But um, And then conversely, uh, somebody's going to probably do a survey of FBI rank and file and find out. But what I've been reading and what I've been seeing has been very clear that the confidence in James Comey was was really high. And it's pretty much what you expected, where they felt like the Hillary, how he handled the Hillary e- emails was a lose-lose situation, which he explained quite, I think, authentically in the Senate hearings. It is a, it was a lose-lose situation. And he consulted with all of his higher-ups, all of the main executives, if you will, the higher agents, the uh, the lead agents, uh, were in agreement with Comey of how that was. You know, he explained to them what he felt like he needed to do, and they said, "Yeah, it sucks. Either way, sucks." But let's let's choose this course of action. And he's the first man one to make that it made him nauseous and he had mistakes. Uh, but otherwise, the rank and file are quite confident. We're quite confident in James Comey, and here's part of the reason why. Let me read you some of his statement that he made having since having been fired. I have long this James Comey. I have, by the way, six foot eight. Little fun fact: everyone keeps seeing how tall he is. Six foot eight. I'm six four. I'm like, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, I always love meeting people that are taller than me, especially hugging people that are taller than me, because then I get to see what it feels like when people that are five foot tall hug me. Uh, it must be very strange. And now I know. I know, right? Tangent, Jeff. Get back on focus. Focus. This is why I need my co-hosts, Erica Ferris and Jeff Hendrick, can be focused. He said, quote, I have long believed that a president can fire an FBI director for any reason or for no reason at all. Right. So he says, "Okay, that's his prerogative. The American people should see the FBI as a rock of competence, honesty and independence, immediately defending his people. Very, very strong by people. And he says, I'm not going to spend time on the decision or the way it was executed. I hope you won't either. It is done and I will be fine. That was in an email that he sent to his agents after being fired. I'm not going to spend time on the decision or the way it was executed. I hope you won't either. It is done, and I will be fine. God, class act. Class act, right? 
And if you don't know the story, it was really funny. Do you know how he found out? He was in L.A. and he was giving a speech to for new for new recruits and this sort of thing. And on the TV screen comes James Comey, FBI, FBI director, fired. And he literally thought it was a prank. He saw it and he starts laughing and he goes, oh, that's good, guys. Because it's the FBI. They could totally construct you know, a fake video, right? They'd be pretty good at that. So he thought it was fake. And then there's this scrambling of his people. And they kind of come up to him and go, yeah, not a fake. Turns out you're fired. Just one legend. It's like, what? So as you can see, this has not gone well, uh, you know. And, and if you're watching the news, I won't rehash too much of what happened because you're, you're probably following it. Uh, but man, they really stepped on it this time. I think the Trump administration honestly thought that it was not going to be a thing that, oh, yeah, no big deal. You know, we'll just, uh, you know, the, the, the Democrats want him gone anyway. Right. 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 So they'll be happy. Yeah. Not in the middle of an investigation. This is where I got to give the Democrats a little bit of credit. And you say, oh, the Democrats are, are hypocrites because they wanted him gone. And now they're upset that he's gone. I know. And, and, and if you are a Trump supporter and you're on favor of that and you hate Democrats, um, you will definitely use that as a argument for their hypocrisy. And that is a uh, I could it's a definitely there's a there's an incongruence of logic there. It makes perfect sense. But the topic difference is this. They thought Comey blew it and with Hillary Clinton and they were upset about it and they thought he should be held accountable for it. But then once the accountability wasn't over, then when you fire James Comey in the middle of an investigation of the president himself, now this is a a separation of powers issue. It's a different issue. Now, you may not see it that way. You may still see it and go, well, you know, uh, they're hypocrites. OK, ask yourself, though, if that's how much of that is is tribalism. And same with the Democrats. Uh, as you see the hypocrisy of the Republicans, ask yourself this question, because some of the Republicans, if you were a Republican and this is your party and you don't want to see your party go down, whether it was Trump or anybody else, you know, I'm watching this news, and don't take it from me. Take it from conservatives. I'm watching Charlie Sykes, unabashed conservative, right? And he was commenting on how this was being handled, and he says, "This quote: This is what happens when you surround yourself with amateurs and sycophants." Referring to the Trump administration, they couldn't see because they're amateurs and sycophants who just agreed. Sycophant being somebody who agrees with what you, the boss says, no matter what, and they didn't see that it was coming. Um, And he also added, if there's nothing there, why such a cover up and so many lies? Why are you making such a big deal about it if it's not about Comey? It's quite clear that it is about the Russian investigation. And that is why they stopped it. So uh, when we come back, I want to get into that. I want to get back to my uh, high speed chase analogy so we can talk about where that process is with the Russian investigation. And I'd like to talk about uh, what Donald Trump did in order to convince the American people what was the next person's he met with to convince the American people that he wasn't colluding with Russia. That when we return to Jeffrey. This is Jeff's World, the independent state of mind, where we look at this gorgeous country in all its complicated glory, like a high-maintenance girlfriend or boyfriend. And we just love it exactly the way it is. I'm Jeff Stein. Again, thank you for listening. And I hope my uh, little sunshine perspective may help you see that we are in the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. This is high growth, people. This is really, really fun. This is really good. It's scary, but I know it's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out very, very well. And the sooner 
you can kind of see that, then you can be one of the few people who get the advantage of enjoying it while it's happening. You know, why not enjoy it? Why suffer through it? Why get caught up in the in the insanity of it? Because you're being trolled anyway. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, either by your fellow Americans or by Russians and you're by people that are angry that, that are angry for reasons that are they're not even aware of most of the time. They're just we're just spitting mad. And uh, no, there's real reasons, Jeff. I'm losing my health care. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know. I know real things are going on. I, I see that real things are going on. But we are on it. Awareness is high. You know, this is the greatest thing about this whole Comey and, and FBI and the Russian investigation is that it's a watched pot. It is not going to boil over without everybody putting in their effort to, to turn the heat down or turn the heat up. I don't how that goes. So... More things that are going on. First of all, apparently, Congress people, especially if you're a Republican, can't really go anywhere right now <laughs> without being bothered, if you will, but really questioned about what's going on. Paul Ryan had, unfortunately, his uh, no good, very bad, horrible uh, tax day. He went in to try and, you know, uh, talk about the tax plan. He wanted to pivot, right? He wanted to pivot to the tax plan. After we're done with quote unquote healthcare moving along. So he went into New Albany, Ohio. He toured a factory, a commercial packaging plant in the suburb north of Columbus, shaking hands, kissing babies, shaking babies, kissing hands. And he was, of course, everyone's bothering him. He attempted to start a national discussion on tax policy, and everybody wanted to talk about um, James Comey, Russia investigation. And again, you know, that was uh, not the best strategic move. By the Trump administration. You guys are smarter than that. Well, there's people, although they probably try to start him. He's probably surrounded by sycophants, again, or amateurs, like uh, Charlie Sykes, the conservative, said. You've got to listen to your people. And here's an example of why. Because uh, one thing he did <laughs> is that after he, he fires James Comey, and then there's the instant firestorm, and the primary reason of the firestorm is like, wait a second, this would be the first time that uh, second time that a president has fired the lead investigator investigating him. You remember the first time was Archibald Cox, the special prosecutor who was assigned to the Watergate case. You know, he fired him or tried to, and of course, the other ones resigned. And speaking of resignations, one of the authors of the memos, this came out just recently, Jay Rosenstein, you know, he's the deputy attorney general. Now, remember, Jeff Sessions, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, was supposed to have recused himself from all things Russia and Hillary. Both things. You forget. Remember, he's on the Senate record as saying, I was recusing myself from the Hillary email and that debacle and the Russian investigation. And so when he puts his name on this memo saying that I'm the one who told Donald Trump to fire James Comey for Hillary, that was the ostensible, that was the the pretend reason, and then obviously stopping a Russian investigation. So not so much for recusal. That is what it is. Uh, I would imagine that Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III is in deep in one way or another. I don't know what that means, but the behavior that he's exhibiting is is either much, much tribalism, because even in all, you may say a lot of things about him, but he does understand the Senate, and he does understand separation of powers, and he does understand the independence of the FBI. And yet he has been... Pushed to a point, assuming the memo is is truly endorsed by him. I haven't, we haven't heard from him yet. He's been pushed by the point to make this decision <laughs> and uh, go against that sort of understanding that he knows is the truth. So something's scaring him. Something is scaring him. 
Maybe it's a fear that the whole thing's going to collapse and he's going to collapse with it, that maybe he's just afraid that Trump's going to look bad. Or maybe it's much deeper than that. He's involved in the Russians, too. It's hard to say, because one of the things I can tell you about the Russian playbook, I've done a lot of reading since this about the tactics of Vladimir Putin. And one of his favorite tactics is to entwine powerful Americans in financial dealings because then they are compromised, compromat, as the uh, Russian language says, compromising material. If they are involved with you financially, especially if they're laundering money for you or especially if they're doing deals where they've taken money from Russian oligarchs, which have suspicious origins, uh, like, for instance, buying a Trump property at ninety four million dollars after it was uh, just purchased by Trump at $48 million just a few uh, a couple of years ago. <laughs> That's very dirty. It's very uh, suspicious. And so I don't know what's got going on in Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, but he is clearly operating on fear, or he wouldn't be making such a clearly uh, contradictory move to what he has previously dem- tried to demonstrate himself as having the character of. So so what happens? What is This is why I can tell that, there, that you know, Trump may just be a buffoon, and I don't mean to mean that disparagingly. If you're a Trump guy, and I always say he's a buffoon, and and please let me please hear my point why I would say this. Or he's being uh, manipulated, uh, or he's just getting really bad advice, or he's not able to see what's going on, because right after firing James Comey for what again everyone presumes is to slow and stall the Russian investigation, another point to that, of course, is that James Comey had just requested of the Justice Department more money to expand the the investigation, which, by the way, was at the suggestions of the Senate because the Senate told him, you need to move this investigation faster. And he said, well, I need more resources to move it faster. I need more manpower. I need more resources. And he said, good, go get it. Ask the Justice Department, get more resources. So he did. And then this was the reaction. He got fired. So what does Trump do? He meets with the Russian foreign minister behind closed doors. Now, if you're a partisan tribalist, you're going to say, well, that's what they do. They meet with Russian foreign ministers. Really? Really? Ask yourself right now if you are doing an identity game where you've said, no, I want so much for my guy Trump to win that I'm willing to take a a fact like that and justify it by saying this is just ordinary business. Let's say it was ordinary business. Okay? A smart politician with even a modicum of brains would have said, this is a terrible idea right now. In the context of what's going on, if I need to meet with the Russian foreign minister, it can wait. It can wait. If I do it now, I'm going to look like dirty as dirty gets. And it's going to look worse if I meet him in private. And it's going to look, and this is Sergei Lavrov, okay? You can look him up, find out about him. But he also met with Kislyak. Kislyak, this is the guy who has been at the center and he's already been uh, named in money laundering, but he has diplomatic immunity. So he's been able to continue in the diplomatic wing of the Russian foreign ministry. He met with these folks. These are some of the most marked men. Now, of course, so was General Flynn. He was a marked man warned by the Justice Department, Republican and Democrat alike, saying he's compromised. He's intertwined in the business of Russians and Vladimir Putin. You need to stay away. And you know that whole story. He didn't. They didn't. And he met with Kislyak, who's in the middle of that. Remember, Kislyak is the guy who met with with uh, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III. And that's why he had to recuse himself, because Kislyak was so toxic. And so obviously 
the man directly connected to Putin to get what Putin wanted. But here it gets even worse. They were no American press were allowed. The only press was the Russian Foreign Ministry's press secretary. And so the photos and the documentation we got at the meeting were in the Russian Foreign Ministry. They were in they were put out by the Russian government. That stinks. And by the way, it has also been revealed that the meeting was at the request of Vladimir Putin himself. He called the White House, or he could not contact the White House. You know, he doesn't get up, pick up a phone and call him. They contact the White House. He contacted the White House and said, please meet with Sergei Lavrov and Kislyak. Even if you could justify that, even if you could find a reason why that made sense, that is the most heinous, political, stupid uh, one could possibly think of at this point in the context of what we're dealing with. So consider that. I know if you're a Trumper, you're going to say, no, no, it's good. It's good. It's good. Okay, that's fine. But you got to look inward and ask yourself, how much are you justifying? And of course, the best way to ask that is if you can truly put your mind in the context of flipping it. What if it was Obama? What if it was Hillary? What if it was Clinton? Pick your Democrat who was under investigation by the checks and then he met with the checks. You'd be, you know, whatever, an investigation to the checks. I, that was an arbitrary one, didn't make any sense, but you get the point. Uh, so <laughs> this is bad, and it's also very obvious. It's very obvious. And it leads us back to my high-speed car chase. Being from Los Angeles, we broadcast out of Los Angeles, as many of you know. And it's, we, we love our high-speed car chases here, and we never take our eyes off of it. But the one of the reasons why we never take our eyes off it is because we know how it's going to go. We see them all the time here. Nobody ever gets away. <laughs> they don't get away. They, but they often it gets very scary. And that's where we are. You've heard me say this analogy before. We are in the high-speed car chase, and firing James Comey was Donald Trump in the Russian investigation with respect to the Russian investigation driving over the spike strip. I believe he's now on his rims. And we still don't know how long this is going to go. He'll drive around on his rims for a while and he's going to get help. And he's got other Republicans in the car with him who are going to help him drive. And they're going to shoot back at the at his opponents that are trying to take him down. But I can assure you, everybody is watching. And Republicans are peeling off because they can see it. And James Comey is going to go testify in the Senate Intelligence Committee on Tuesday in closed session. <laughs> more and more knowing. It makes you wonder why Jason Chaffetz quit. Either he, I'm not saying he's involved. I mean, that's the first conclusion we want to go to, but it's much more likely that he may have just seen what's going on and said, oh crap, this is going to crumble. This is going to fall. I don't want to be here in a position where I have to carry water for this. <laughs> President Trump is on the run. It is clear he's doing business dealings. I mean, sports writers, you probably saw this, uh, a sports writer, or I have to look his name, Jason Lewis, I can't remember his name, he, uh, for Golf Digest, I believe, reissued his interview so people could see it with Eric Trump about three years ago, where he quotes Eric Trump on three different occasions during the interview, bragging about how many business dealings they have with Russia. These quotes saying, oh, we do all kinds of business with Russian, we got all kinds of Russian money. Our golf course courses are are funded by Russian money. Now he said it proudly, and at the time, everybody's like, "Oh well, good for you. Get your money from Russia. Yay for you!" 
<laughs> you can't do that. And then let Vladimir Putin call you and say, hey, have a closed door meeting with Kislyak and Lavrov and uh, don't let any American press in. And, uh, you know, everybody will just think it's cool. You're meeting with the Russians in the middle of this, Donald Trump. So hear that. And if you are, uh, you know, opposing this, if you're a Trump supporter, you're, you're hearing this, you really need to look inward and ask yourself if there's if there's any sensibility to that. Because at minimum, it's really stupid and really politically stupid, really politically stupid. And for a great, brilliant negotiator that you claim that Donald Trump is, that ain't so brilliant. But at maximum, it screams, oh, my God, I'm meeting with my Russian counterparts because we're strategizing how to take the next step. Because if he did collude with Russia and he did work with them to troll the American people to try to, con- to, to send around fake stories, which we have a lot of evidence to that effect, um, then you'd meet with Russia to say, hey, come on, let's ramp up the fake stories so that I can get out of this, so that I can get enough political pressure. But meanwhile, it ain't really working. And I'll tell you why, because when we come back, we have some poll numbers on how the American people are digesting all this. And I've said this to my, my Trump friends before. I'll say it again. I'm going to give you some words of advice uh, when we come back to Jeff's world, as well as going into the Jimmy Kimmel effect, the Jimmy Kimmel test, as Senator Bill Cassidy requested, and where that goes with health care. And I return right after this. This is Jeff's world. Place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Jeff Stein. Eric Ferris and Jeff Hendrick are out today, and we're talking about, well, Comey, 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 and what's been going on, and the high speed car chase, and Donald Trump driving over the spark spike strips, and he's on rims now. Uh, he may go for a while. It ain't going to end soon. But one of the things that'll make it end a little quicker, and again, I say to my Trump supporter friends, uh, you, you might want to get off this train a little sooner than later. And I don't mean that so that you can just be right. But I want you to you know, look inward a little bit. When most of your bubble is screaming about the leaks that are coming out, rather the leaks of information, which is actual and factual, uh, than the information that it explains, um, you know, your tribalism is getting a little thick. Your tribalism is showing. Pull your pants down. Put your pants up. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> so, and the other thing that will make folks come around, because some of the Republicans are already seeing the writing on the wall. Richard Burr, North Carolina senator who's heading the Senate Intelligence Committee, is uh, upset because he first is, he was one of the first ones to say, this is unsettling, this is disturbing, how this firing went down. Because they're handling the Russian investigation. And now they define it unsettling and disturbing. The other thing that came up is that they requested from the White House a bunch of documents about Michael Flynn so they could find out how much our nation was compromised by an individual that is clearly compromised. Uh, aside from the things we already know about, the, the 45000 he collected from uh, for speaking at the Russia Today Vladimir Putin 10-year celebration, uh, as well as the payments from Turkey and all these different places, he's got a lot of money. And that's, what we, that's the one we know about. The FBI knows about it a lot more. So you got this compromised guy, and uh, they asked for documents on that at the Senate, and the deadline was Tuesday, and surprise, the White House handed nothing over. Again, amateurs and sycophants. I've been watching democracy for a long time now. I'm a big political geek, as you obviously can tell, 
And I've seen all different ways from Clinton all the way through that presidents will try to claim executive privilege or they'll hand over documents. You know, when they were handing over documents for Hillary about the about the 15, 17 different committees investigating her her emails and investigating Benghazi, Benghazi. Remember that they handed stuff over. And even if you're trying to hide something, you hand a few things over. There's lots of different, very clever stalling tactics you can do. They didn't do any of that in the Trump and Trump White House. They, they stonewalled their own Republican senator. And so Richard Burr said no. And he just they just issued subpoenas. That's what you want to avoid in the White House. If you had to hand it over some again, if you had some amateur weren't such amateurs, you had to hand it over some documents, even something just to kind of give them just some little tidbits to go. Hey, here's some. Here's some. Stall it. Anything. I mean, obviously, what you should do is come clean. But that's another story. Um, you know, even if you're trying to be cleverly cagey, there's no sign of that either. So now you're up against subpoenas by your own party, by your own party supporters. Um, and that's where it's going. Republicans are peeling off because they're seeing it. And the other thing that is going on is the polling. Because you want one thing you want to scare a politician, uh, show them how bad their numbers are. And because right now a lot of Republicans, congressmen are like convinced that everyone who's following them around and protesting are just a bunch of crazy liberals from, you know, San Francisco who are following around. Not the case. In fact, even a uh, congressman, oh gosh, I'm going to forget his name. Uh, I have to look it up for a second here. But a congressman in uh, Illinois, I believe it was, who held a town hall and he tried to be clever and he screened the town hall. He had his people prevent anyone that wasn't a resident and wasn't uh, a voter from coming in. And the reporter, first reporter he talked to, Asked him a question and said, "Why are you screening?" And he immediately said, "Stop, stop badgering me. I, I, you know, I don't want people from other other districts coming in here into the town hall." Okay, right. So the reporter asked him the question of, "Well, do you accept money from outside of the district?" And that's when he says, "You're badgering me," and he throws the mic off and leaves. So he goes into the town hall of pre-screened supporters, or so to speak, pre-screened voters in his district, and what happens? They boo him off. Because he starts to say stuff about, oh, no, no, this new health care bill, it's going to totally protect your Medicare. You're going to get more. Things going to get better. And they, of course, didn't believe him because they've been looking at the numbers, math, right? So in addition to the Republicans in Congress feeling the heat and still trying to stay in their bubble and convince themselves that it's not real heat, that it's just liberal whack jobs, it ain't. It's real people with real medical conditions really concerned. So meanwhile, latest poll from Quinnipiac University. Trump's disapproval rating is now at 58%. That's a, that's a high. And just 36% approved of his performance. And out of that, the percentage of Americans who strongly approve of him is tied for an all-time low at 25%. And the percentage who strongly disapprove, so out of the 58% who disapprove, 51% of them strongly disapprove. So now you've got over half the nation who wants him on a spit and you've only got 25% of the nation. I've told this before. You've probably heard me say this expression before, 28 percenters. It's an expression I've used before in the show. I, I derived it back from the Vietnam days uh, where they kind of discovered about Nixon and Vietnam. There's always about 28% of the country on each side who will never stop believing in their side no matter what their side does. It's a funny little thing. 25 to 28% says, nope. He's good. I don't care how many crimes he committed. He's good. I mean, there's still folks to to long after Nixon was clearly found to have been guilty. Uh, there's about 25, 28 percent who still said, no, he's not. He was set up. <laughs> They're going to believe that. And that's a good, good advice, by the way, to those who are getting into fights on Facebook. 
remember that there are folks who will never budge. They will never give it up. They will never think that uh, their guy had done anything wrong, even when confronted with a fact so painfully obvious. It won't be until, and, and there's no point in trying, but you got to let, let, you know, just demonstrate. Again, we go back to the Betsy DeVos thing. Demonstrate what you want. Uh, stop fighting over who's the biggest hypocrite uh, because everyone's a hypocrite at some point. Everyone becomes a hypocrite if no other reason than because you have to evolve. And what was right one day, you will discover is not right the next day. Uh, other statistics came out. Only 33% of people think Donald Trump is honest. Uh, is he a good leadership skills? 56% say no. Is he care about average Americans? 59% say no. Is he being level-headed? Voters say 66 to 29% that he's not. 66% say he's not being level-headed. This is an all-time worst in polling history. Being intelligent? Is he being intelligent? 56 to 41 says no. Is he share your values? Interesting one. 64% say no. 32% said yes. How he is how he is treated by how how has he treated the news media? Believe it or not, voters disapprove of how he's treated the news media. 65% to 31%. And on the question of whether people, this is the big one, whether people trust him or the media, 31% trust Trump, 57% trust the media. (laughs) Even 17% of Republicans have picked the media as being more trustworthy than their president. He's on the rims. It ain't going to go much further. This car is running out of steam. And what you want to do if you're a Republican like my family is, you want to get on Republican ideals. You want to start saying things like, this is not about Donald Trump. Donald Trump, what he said in the campaign trail, I agreed with. And I do, me personally. I'm not speaking for you now, too. I do agree with. When he was talking about you know, infrastructure, when he was talking about making sure everybody had health care, uh, a tax plan that wasn't just favoring rich, uh, he also said, remember, you were not going to let Wall Street and Goldman Sachs take over your lives. And then he hired three people from Goldman Sachs. As Bill Maher says, the only person he didn't hire from Goldman Sachs was Goldman and Sachs. And um, that's, that's where you got to say, okay, He turned out to be not the guy that I believed he was, but it doesn't change the fact that Republican ideas are among the best, if you want to believe that. And they are great Republican ideas. There have always been great Republican ideas. Teddy Roosevelt's one of my favorite presidents ever. Fascinating dude. Did some amazing, bold things that that, that, that took a kind of courage. And he was a reader, by the way. Read voraciously. Studied people. Studied things. Donald Trump's not a reader. Donald Trump just thinks he's already got it all figured out. He doesn't need to learn anything. He is more certain than curious. And so I tell you, my fellow Republicans, be more curious than certain. We need to look at this and say, okay, here's where Republican ideals are rocking it because uh, uh, we're going to get into the healthcare debate. We're going to get into a tax debate. And it needs to be from a perspective of fairness and justice and limited government is great. You want to keep government to not do things that it shouldn't be bothered in. But it also needs to be effective and efficient, right? So start celebrating Republican ideas. Say, yeah, Trump turned out to be not the guy, but the Republican Party is still in good shape. We want to save the Republican Party. It's time to save the Republican Party from Donald Trump. I know, right? And from some of these other folks who have turned it into a tribalistic bloodlust um, to undo everything Obama. And instead of just undoing Obama, we need to create something that's awesome, something that's great. That's where you want to head. That's what you want to think about. More about what you want than what you don't want. So when we come back... Got a couple more things, lightning round and the Jimmy Kimmel test. 
what that has meant for America and the healthcare debate when we return to Jeff's World. This is Jeff's World, the home of truth, justice, sarcasm, laughs, and epiphanies, all while looking at the American way of life, trying to offer a perspective that might make you feel a little better about the world. We try to leave the world better than we found it. I'm Jeff Stein. Erica Patterson and Jeff Hendrick are off today. We're talking about all the all the Jim Jameses and Jimmies, Jimmy Kimmel, James Comey. One of the interesting things that that came out was that uh, you may you may recall if you've been following the news that uh, the James Comey firing was supposedly at the behest, as the uh, White House is saying, the uh, suggestion of the Attorney General Jefferson, you know Jeff Sessions, and the dis- Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who they like to say is a well-respected, well-liked guy. He went through the Senate confirmation 94 to 6, I believe was the final vote. So very well received. Everyone likes Rod Rosenstein. That's their argument. So, hey, you guys like him. Democrats like him. Everybody likes him, so he must be right. Well, Jonathan Carl, who has been reporting, he's over at Washington Post, and Washington Post and Jonathan Carl, ABC News' Jonathan Carl and Washington Post, have been reporting that Rod Rosenstein was so upset with the White House for pinning the Comey firing on him that he was on the verge of resigning. So that uh, stuff has still hit the not hit the fan all the way. So we're not even sure if Rod Rosenstein was on board. And of course, there's a lot of squishiness on their, ex, their White House's explanation of why, um, you know, that was happening. But do give the media some credit. You know, people are so frustrated because I think if you're on one side, it doesn't even matter which side you're on. If you're if you're a tribalist from one side or the other, if you're quite convinced that that Trump is fully not involved with business, Russian business dealings and collusion, which, again, uh, don't ask Eric Trump that because apparently he says we do it. They do all kinds of business with him and don't look at documents or anything. But uh, obviously I've made my conclusion. But let's assume that you think that he's that they're completely exonerated uh, from this. You know, you're going to look at the media and you're going to be upset. Oh, why do they keep bringing it up? And then if you're on the left, for whatever lack of a better, if you're on the person on the, of the mind that, that he is guilty of collusion at, or at least business dealings that, are, uh, that, 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 that violate the emoluments clause, which very clearly in the Constitution, it states that you, uh, the president may not receive emoluments, which is money and or awards and or payments and or land or anything like that from a foreign government, especially one we're at war with on the Internet. So if you assume that's all to be true. Anyway, if you're upset by that and you're upset by the media, because on the one hand, you're going to think, oh, I want the media to just say it like it is. Just say out loud. They're obviously guilty. Okay, calm down. And the other side says, I want them to just stop talking about it because it's obvious they're obviously innocent. I'll give them credit. They're doing a really good job. They're not biting too much. Uh, One of my favorite persons to watch is Major Garrett at CBS He's always been one that you don't know this reporter is. Very stoic guy, very serious, very straight-faced. I've never seen between he and Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper's eye roll. Google that. Anderson Cooper eye roll. (laughs) But Major Garrett, I see him start his reports with a smile on his face because everything he does, every time he comes into the thing, it's a new story, and you can tell the expression is, you're just not going to believe what I got now. You're not going to believe this latest thing. And even in that, the reporters are still trying to go, okay, this is what he said. This is what she said. You make your own decision. They're trying their very best to be the adults in the room. They say, I hate the media. Well, they're doing a pretty good job. They're doing a pretty good job. Even over at Fox News, I've uh, been watching 
And I obviously have a bias towards Fox News because I've seen them, you know, be very one-sided. But, you know, same with MSNBC. I have a bit of a – I like MSNBC and I like Fox News. I, I find them very fascinating to watch, both of them. But there's no question that, um, you know, it'll go off the partisan rails at time. And that's okay. That's fine. That's not, that's not, a, that's not a bad thing. We can all enjoy uh, the perspective we have. It's got to keep our heads about us. When we find ourselves screaming at each other to try to make the other person suffer for being wrong, you know, because they're they're not seeing our point of view, it's like, calm down. The Betsy DeVos thing is a good example. That's a case where everybody wanted to be heard. You know, these black students wanted to be heard when she said something that they said that they thought was offensive. And by the same token, um, the folks that support the Donald Trump administration want these black students to listen and let Betsy DeVos speak and give her a chance to uh, demonstrate that she's not the monster that uh, her previous words seem to indicate. Um, so you, know, you got to give everybody a chance. Let people have the opportunity. Last week, as you saw, my co-hosts were kind of poking at me about my feelings about Paul Ryan kind of dis- disappointing his own uh, previous beliefs, you know, Paul Ryan contradicting his own <laughs> previous beliefs. Uh, but I will always look at the better angels. I was always look for uh, an opportunity to see person going in the right direction and encourage them to do accordingly. And which leads us to Jimmy Kimmel and what's been happening over there. Wow. I mean, this is, if this is a good sign, y'all. And his other good sign is that if I've been watching Fox News, been watching other channels, uh, and I'm amazed at how many conservatives are openly saying, hey, uh, we're headed towards single payer. We're headed towards universal health care. This is really sealing the deal. And part of the reason it's sealing the deal is because, with all due respect to my Republican friends, you kind of blew it in this one regard. Obamacare was Romney care, which was Nixon care and Kaiser care. This had been bouncing around in the Republican conservative orthodoxy for a while to great success. This idea that, hey, we can insure everybody if we can create kind of a marketplace and some requirements. Because one of the things that falls apart is if you don't require insurance companies to cover emergent, to cover uh, pre-existing conditions and you don't require them to uh, avo- eliminate lifetime caps. And you, ha- you don't, if you don't do that sort of thing, then they're just going to drop everybody. And then on the other side, you kind of have to require the American people who are healthy to have insurance. Most people live in a state where there's car insurance that is mandated by law. And that is one of the reasons your car insurance hasn't kept escalating every year out of control. And it's kind of stabilized into a relatively affordable state is because it is required of everyone. This is how it works. There are certain things where if your incentive is health, if the incentive of health care is the health of the nation, then everybody's got to pitch in. If your incentive is profit, then you're just going to find customers that are healthy and dump the ones that are not unhealthy. That's the way it's going to go. And my conservative Republican friends are realizing that. And they, not just realizing it, they were the original conceivers of that idea. And then it got abandoned once it was Obama's. Romney himself, remember Romney himself said, oh, Obamacare is terrible. It's your idea. And it would have been a good idea. And if the Republicans weren't so tribal at the time, this is where I get disappointed in my, my family's Eisenhower Republican Party. If they weren't so tribalistic, they would have said, okay, yeah, Obamacare, and now that we're in charge of Congress, we're going to make it even better. We're going to show you how to take that idea that is ours, by the way, and we're going to show you how to really maximize it. And if they had expanded on Obamacare, instead of doing everything they could to fight it, to fight all the expansions, to fight all the inclusion of people who, who don't have money, and to fight the mandate that requires healthy people to have insurance, if they hadn't fought all that, uh, they could have put their name on it. They could have said, good job, Obama. Instead of calling Obamacare, they should have kept it called the Affordable Care Act. 
And they could have even said it's Republican care because now we're going to fix it. We're going to turn it into Republican care. And, I, and, and Obama would have said, fine, call it Republican care. That's the one thing about this guy. That's why I love this guy. And I know you guys may not share my love of, of President Obama, but he was adult enough to say, if the idea works, do it. I don't care because if you've been watching him as I did for those eight years, there were a lot of ideas that he implemented that were not his. And a lot of them were Republicans. And he kept on a lot of Republicans in the admin, that was from the previous from Bush administration because he determined that these folks are good people and they're doing good work. So what difference does it make if they're Republican or Democrat? That's just they're doing good work. They got good ideas. Let's go. And if they if Republicans had taken it and said, no, let's make this Republicare and we're going to expand on it. We're going to make it even better. Uh, he would have gone fine. Go for it. You know, but instead it was now that it's Obama's, it's bad. So we have to hate it. We have to fight it. And uh, and then they threw around things that make conservatives crazy, like government mandate. It's a government mandate. It's government mandate. And, you know, I understand you hate when government tells you what to do, which is, of course, ironic because then you, you know, don't want anybody to have control over their own bodies. But that's another story. That's where my co-host would come in and go uh, absolutely apoplectic over the abortion mandates. And if that's that's government you know, interference in their minds. But, of course, if you believe that abortion is killing a child, then you're going to want to make it illegal under all costs. Again, we go around and around and around that one. We may never work that one out anytime soon. So Jimmy Kimmel has had the amazing uh, gift of sharing his story with America, a story that almost everybody can relate to. And this is how consciousness works. You you heard us play it before when it first happened and, and his baby went in for the congenital heart disease situation. That is a classic example of a pre-existing condition and something that you couldn't have blamed them for a behavioral thing. Because a lot of my right-wing folks like to say, well, if they didn't get themselves sick, if they'd taken care of better themselves, or you know, you put the personal responsibility lens on it, how are you going to give a newborn personal responsibility obligations? Right? Okay. So it makes it very clear for everybody. Well, he went back on and uh, followed this up. And so I give you Jimmy Kimball and the next part of his debate where he talks about what happened to him after he got into the healthcare debate and how the trolling, many of them are probably Russians. Again, a lot of people that troll Jimmy Kimmel might have been Russians, but a lot of them are Americans too, because we got a pretty angry side that's, uh, you know, it's one you versus me. And so I'm going to take my side and make you suffer. So here it is, Jimmy Kimmel. There was so much kindness, so much compassion. It, it, it was hard to even process. And, but there were also, and I know this is going to shock you, there were also some not-so-nice things that people said online about me, uh, including members of the media. Now, this is from, this is a real headline from the New York Post, Jimmy Kimmel's obscene lies about kids and medical care. And, and I would like to apologize for saying that children in America should have health care. It was insensitive. Uh, it was offensive, and I hope you can find it in your heart to forgive me. There's some very sick and sad people out there. Here's one of them. His name is Newt Gingrich. He's the former Speaker of the House. If you show up at a hospital with a brand new baby and the brand new baby has a heart problem, the doctors at that hospital do everything they can to save the baby. They don't, they don't say, we'll take care of the baby right after you write a check. They try to save the baby's life. Uh, and that's true across the board in this country. Yes, it is true that if you have an emergency, they will do an operation. And that's terrific if your baby's health problems are all solved during that one visit. The only problem is that never, ever happens. We've had a dozen doctor's appointments since our son had surgery. You've got a cardiologist, a pediatrician, surgeon. Some kids need an ambulance to transport them. That doesn't even count the parents who have to miss work for all this stuff. That Those details, Newt forgot to mention. I don't know if the double layers of Spanx are restricting the blood flow to his brain, but... And not only is Newt Gingrich an expert on sick children, turns out he also knows a thing or two about the late-night comedy business. The problem you have with humor in America today... <laughs> okay, yes. 
Please tell us the problem we have with humor in America today. The problem you have with humor in America today is that Hollywood is so enraged at Donald Trump that they can't be funny. All they've got is pure anger. Uh, and that's what's coming out in this stuff. And then they think it must be funny because they're called comedians. So they, they, they exhibit their anger as almost a pathology on late night television. And you're supposed to laugh because after all, they're comedians. They ain't funny because they're too angry to be funny. Gee, I wonder why we're so angry. <laughs> Maybe it has something to do with, I don't know, you. Listen, I don't want to. Newt Gingrich does know a lot about comedy. This is a man. This is the guy who helped lead the impeachment effort against Bill Clinton for trying to cover up his affair while he was having an affair. <laughs> that is, that's hilarious. Come on. That's, so now the health care bill moves from the House to the Senate, where hopefully some kind of common sense will prevail. One senator, Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, who's a Republican, came up with a barometer for the new health care bill that I happen to like a lot. Could you support a bill that allows insurance companies to cap their payouts to customers? Um, as you present that, uh, I asked, does it pass the Jimmy Kimmel test? Would a child born with a congenital heart disease be able to get everything she or he would need in that first year of life? I wanted to pass the Jimmy Kimmel test. Well, I do too. I think that's a good thing that, that has to. <laughs> and we all do, right, Jimmy? So this is that is where we are. Late night hosts are the ones debating our health care. And what that means is not I don't think that's a sad thing, like Congress isn't taking care of it. But what it's saying is that democracy is a participation sport. And this means something to everybody. And it doesn't matter if you're a late night host or you're just somebody, average Joe, if you will. Uh, not that he's above average. It's the first thing Jimmy Kimmel would say. He's not above average. He just has a job that pays a lot of money. All right. So when we come back, I want to play the actual interview with Senator Bill Cassidy and Jimmy Kimmel and how they discuss what to do with it all when we return to Jeff's World. This is the mind-expanding experience known as Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein. Erica Ferrison and Jeff Hendrick are out today, but uh, we're talking about health care. Uh, you heard from Jimmy Kimmel, and we're going to hear some more. Bill Cassidy, who, by the way, let me tell you a little about this guy, because I, I think it's obviously very relevant. He's He is a gastroenterologist, okay, gastroenterologist, uh, which is a doctor, obviously, and his wife is a retired surgeon. So, you know, Dr. Bill Cassidy, recently elected to Louisiana. And he co-founded the Greater Baton Rouge Community Clinic, which provides free dental and health care to the working uninsured. Isn't that interesting? Working uninsured, of course, they have to be working. Uh, and that's fine. Personal responsibility, an important component that uh, conservatives like to, to, to uh, you know, have. And, I, and I'm not arguing with that. And um, so he's in the middle of it and he's a doctor and he understands it. And I do want to make this point because we made a previous show. We've been kind of hard on things. Understand the doctors, nurses, hospitals, they're all trying to do the best they can. If there's a villain, it's insurance companies. And the villain is not people who work in insurance companies. It's the structure. It's the idea that you must make profit and you must profit off health denials. Because let's face it, if, if you're a health insurer, you want to collect premiums and pay no uh, you know, benefits. That's the way you're going to make the most money. More premiums, no benefits. And so I don't blame people that work in the insurance industry because that's what you're required to do. You know, it's like if you worked on Wall Street, you're not doing it to say, hey, let's pick a company and put some money in it because and then help them fail until they get it right. No, your job is to put money in the company and only stay in it if it's going to make money. 
because it's a profit-based system. And that's cool. Profit-based systems are an important part of innovation. I'm a big fan of them. I like capitalism for where it sits. But when it comes to human endeavors, where the sake of the human human being is at stake, uh, profit, if it's in contradiction to that, must be eliminated from the equation. And that's where the collective good comes together. And that's where the collective good is expressed in people like Jimmy Kimmel and, judge for yourself, Louisiana Senator Bill Cassidy. Thank you for naming a test after me. I always figured if I ever got a test named after me, it would be for some embarrassing sexually transmitted disease. Don't go there, Jimmy. So much better. So let's talk about health care. Now, my first question is, why are the vast majority of Republican politicians against making sure Americans are truly covered when it comes to health care? Well, if you take the most prominent Republican politician, Donald Trump, he has said that he actually wants all to be covered. He wants to take care of pre-existing conditions without mandates. Americans hate mandates. And lastly, maybe most importantly, he wants to lower premiums. Right now, families have premiums 20 and 30,000, almost $40,000 a year with six to $13,000 family deductibles. Now, a middle-class family can't afford that. We have got to have insurance that passes the Jimmy Kimmel test that a middle-class family can no longer afford. Do you believe that this health care, the, the health care bill that they passed does that, lowers those costs for middle class people? The, the, the House plan was scored by the Congressional Budget Office as actually raising premiums, mm-hmm. which is why on the Senate side, we need to make it work because we have to lower those premiums so that if another child is born, that child can get the care she needs, not only on the first year, but every year thereafter, as you mentioned so well. The clinic you co-founded caters to the working uninsured. Why is there even such a thing as working uninsured in the United States? Should there be? No, there shouldn't be. On the other hand, you have to have a health care program that not only works for the patient, but works for the taxpayer. Our country is spending so much money right now on health care. I am all about people having the insurance they need. But again, we have to be able to afford it both in our taxes and in our personal expenses. That's the tension. That's the goal. And frankly, I think that's President Trump's goal, too. Do you believe that every American, regardless of income, should be able to get regular checkups, maternity care, et cetera, all of those things that people who have health care get and need? Yep. You do. Where do you stand on the uh, annual or lifetime payout caps where um, the insurance companies cap how much money they can pay out so that when a family is a child with a condition like my son has, they potentially could go bankrupt because of all the expensive surgeries. Yeah, as it turns out, the caps don't contribute. Having a cap does not contribute that much to the expense. You can eliminate that cap, and it does not really impact. It does not really impact the, the cost of the policy. It does to an extent, but not to such an extent that you have to have them. Will the Senate make sure that the millions of children who count on Medicaid don't lose access to medical care because... This House bill would cut, they say, $888 billion, mostly for, you know, to benefit wealthy Americans. Let me first answer your question technically, then more broadly, and then more broadly yet. Most children are covered under the CHIP program, and so they are going to get the coverage they need. That's almost independent from Medicaid. Under Medicaid itself, though, clearly, if we're going to fulfill President Trump's uh, kind of contract with the American people, that people would maintain their coverage— Medicaid will be a part of that. From my perspective, I'd rather Medicaid change into something that works more for the patient as opposed to the state or the institution, which too often takes the money and doesn't give it to the patient for their care. And then most broadly, we will get there 
if the American people call their senator, and if they call their senator as a Democrat, say, listen, don't just sit on the sidelines, engage. Don't wait to be called. You call. Call your Republican senator. Say, we got to fulfill President Trump's contract, lowering premiums with coverage that passes the Jimmy Kimmel test. If we do that, we get an American plan. Not Democrat, not Republican, an American plan, and that's where we need to be. Senator. Uh- you see, isn't that amazing? Uh, I mean, all the different things that are going on there. And you can see the difference in philosophy. You know, when he says, uh, Bill Cassidy says, Americans hate mandates. Well, Louisianans uh, that are voted for him hate mandates. I, I mean, the word mandate, I mean, people hate mandate because it sounds like an ugly word. But um, again, I look at the auto insurance thing. I don't think people are against a mandate that everybody have auto insurance. I think that's pretty understood. So, you know, it, that's that's a little bit, but whatever. I don't, it, it's fine. That's a small, that's small potatoes. And look at the way he endows Trump with Trump's own words to become actions. You know, if we're going to fulfill Trump's contract, uh, and I think that's wonderful. And that's a good thing. That's a good lesson. Instead of being so upset at Trump, uh, when, and when you talk to a Trump supporter, for instance, and you're all upset and you're fighting over it, and you can, the one thing you can agree on is, well, don't you agree that we should all have health care like Donald Trump said? That's pretty universal. And that's and you can see there it is. There's Jimmy Kimmel talking to uh, an unquestionably, unquestionably conservative um, senator that, of course, assumes that Jimmy Kimmel isn't conservative, which I don't know. I think Jimmy Kimmel is just a comedian. I think he's a simplistic guy. Uh, he would probably argue with that, too. It's like, hey, man, I just want health care. I just want to be able to do this. I don't want to be simple. Um, you know, he's about and he was honest too. look at Bill Cassidy was honest about the fact that the AHCA is a turd that it didn't work. You know, he's diplomatic about it. He's a good politician and says, well, we got to make it work. And that's good. And then it's working uninsured. It's got to work for the taxpayer. You know, that's an interesting thing. But I think most people would find that when it comes to health care, uh, we need it. It has to happen. And so it's not a question of whether it works for the taxpayer. It must work for the taxpayer. We must find a way. And that's where Congress has to come in. And so I want to talk about that a little bit more too. But when we come back uh, to Jeff's world, I want to play Jimmy Kimmel telling Bill Cassidy what he thinks the Jimmy Kimmel test should be as patriots rise, even amongst late night comedians here on Jeff's world. Welcome to Jeff's world and being a part of our growing population. I'm Jeff Stein, Erica Pearson and Jeff Hendrick have got the day off today and, uh, we uh, please check us out on Facebook and Twitter as always. Uh, Jeff's World Show. Give me some feedback on this if you want to. Uh, tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. Always love it. This is a dialogue. Everything is right. That's the great thing about this new paradigm and this new world we're living in is that it's all one big dialogue. We all get to connect to each other instantly and infinitely, uh, and with a few Russian trolls in between to make us think we hate each other. So Jimmy Kimmel. One last word for him. He got a Jimmy Kimmel test, and so uh, you know I think that gave him a right to tell on healthcare what he thinks the Jimmy Kimmel test should be. Since I am Jimmy Kimmel, I would like to make a suggestion as to what the Jimmy Kimmel test should be. I'll, I'll keep it simple. The Jimmy Kimmel test, I think, should be no family should be denied medical care, emergency or otherwise, because they can't afford it. Can that be the Jimmy Kimmel test? As simple as that? Is that oversimplifying it? Hey, man, you're on the right track. And if that's as close as we can get, that works great in government. Now, we've got to be able to pay for it. And that's the challenge. So all those middle class families right now paying twenty to thirty to forty thousand dollars a year for their coverage, we have to make it affordable for them too. And yeah. that's what I'm hearing. Well, I can just think of a that way, is not affordable. I can think of a way to pay for it is don't give a huge tax cut to millionaires like me and instead leave it how it is. I mean that, that would be one way. 
That's my vote. Tell, tell the American people to call their senator and endorse that concept. I think, well, that's a good plan. Thank you, Senator. I trust that you will keep your word and do whatever you can. Thank you, Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, that, that's I just I'm overwhelmed with gratitude that this debate is happening, that this is going on. This is exactly what the things we needed to talk about here in America. And um, this is how progress happens. And if you're afraid and you're getting scared, like, oh, my gosh, it's never going to work. We're just going to fight. No, no. This is this is this is proof. This is proof that it's working, that it's just so much rubber has hit the road, as they say. I don't like that expression so much, but the uh, it's real now. This is real and it's been real. And it's so real that it wasn't just politics isn't something that, you know, as my as executive Brian likes to say, politics is now pop culture. Because it used to be something that you watched it from a distance and you see, watch other people arguing about it. Oh, my God, those people are going on about politics again, about this politics. I don't even understand what's going on. Like people watching, uh, fighting over baseball or football. And if you weren't into baseball or football, you just kind of go, whatever. I don't get it. You guys are into it. But here it is. Everybody, it's relevant for everyone now. And uh, we're back to being a participation in the sport. I, I sincerely hope that it will get to a point where we won't have to pay attention <laughs> again, because, you know, one of the things I tease at the top of the show is, is one of the things that we all need to have, this new paradigm, this new reality of our of our world is that everything we do requires considerable skill. This is an artisanal, as in like artisan, an artisanal society. You can't even be somebody who, as they say, digs a ditch. Like you say, you never get rich from digging a ditch. You're in the army now, right? Well, that's skill too. Watch when you pass by a construction crew on the on the highway. Those guys putting out, or ladies, those men and women putting out uh, highways, <laughs> putting out highways. Now, obviously, I know what I'm talking about. Those people that are building highways. Uh, my my father, in fact, was a civil engineer and he built bridges and things. And worked for the the, uh, the water districts up in Northern California, deciding where all the water went. Which, as you can imagine, the intensity of a job of deciding where water goes in California. But the point is, is even folks building on the side of the road, those people, they're using machinery that requires a lot of skill. They're, everything about what they're doing requires a lot of skill. Everything now requires skill. And the point of that, and that includes politics. You don't want to hire politicians because they're crazy mavericks who are going to blow the place up. I'm just telling you. You want people that are good at it. You want everyone who does every job that's important to be good at it. And the other caveat, the other corollary to the truth that this is an artisanal skill-based society is it makes us more interreliant because we can't learn everything. Maybe in the days of wagons and farming, everybody had enough knowledge about how to grow wheat that you could get by and grow a tree or something or whatever. But now, every look at all the devices. Look at all the things you're using. Look at all the simple things of life that you have. Everything requires skill to have and to create and to sustain, and to service, and to replace. replace. And so we are super interdependent now. And healthcare is the ultimate test of that. Can we understand, like every other industrialized nation, that this is an interdependence that we must achieve? And we must know, that, and we must mandate, evil word, that we all participate. Because it's all of our participations that ensures the safety and lifting of all of us. A rising tide lifts all boats. So I'm so grateful to Jimmy Kimmel and I'm grateful grateful to Bill Cassidy, who would have otherwise jumped in with the other Republicans and maybe played tribal, but he's not. He says, you know, we got to be able to afford it. Remember these, these these comments he makes, you know, and he said, and well, 
my only argument to that, Bill Cassidy, is that we have to afford it. Not that we're able to or not able to. We just got to do it. We got to find a way. And of course, Jimmy Kimmel has the best answer. Millionaires like me. And then he says, call your senator. Either one. Call him. Call him. Call him. And the best part, Jimmy Kimmel, just an average Joe at the end of it. He's not a political geek. And he says, well, I hope you keep your word. Let's stay with that. I hope Donald Trump keeps his word. I hope that we keep our word to be more for what we're for instead of what we're against. Spend less time trying to find the hypocrisy of our quote-unquote enemies and spend more time trying to find out what we both want and what we both share and that we're both desiring to get out of this government and out of this Congress. And here's a time with healthcare where you've got the AARP jumping in with both feet. You know, every organization that ever involved themselves with healthcare. I mean, AARP is making lists of congresspeople of the, that voted for the AHCA and calling them out and saying, you either demand they change their vote or you let them go. And they're putting together different videos to let people know that these are human stories. And so uh, I will leave you with that as we take off. This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose-colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.